This is episode 11 with Marie Forleo. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, and I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe to uncover the habits, habits, mindsets, tools, and rituals that they have used to become world-class so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Named by Oprah as a thought leader for the next generation and one of Inc.'s 500 fastest growing companies, Marie's mission is to help you become the person you're meant to be and use your gifts to change the world. She is the creator of the award-winning online show Marie TV and founder of B-School. I first discovered Marie five years ago when my bestie Jess told me to check out this awesome American chick who did these epic and inspiring videos. Soon after, we both did her business program B-School and headed to New York for one of her live events. It's safe to say we became Marie obsessed, absorbing everything she said and put out. Then when we met her in person, we were blown away. This chick not only walks her talk, but she is one of the nicest humans on the planet. So generous with her time and truly does want to help you. And above all, knows a lot about how to create a business and life that you love. Now in this episode, we chat about how she built her multi-million dollar empire, how Marie got to where she is today, how to turn your passion into profit, how to find your passion in life, how to move through money and abundance limiting blocks, what her parents' divorce taught her, how Marie personally juggles the dance between the masculine and feminine, how she creates community and culture with her virtual team all over the world, how to build and hire an epic team, this is really important, why giving back and being a people-based business will skyrocket your profits, what Marie is most recently grateful for, her daily routines and non-negotiables, plus so much more. Everything that we mention in this episode, you can find in the show notes at www.melissaambrosini.com forward slash 11. I am so excited for you guys to hear this episode. So let's dive in with this divine woman, Marie Folio. Welcome, Marie. I am so excited to have you here with us today, and I'm so grateful and so honored. Melissa, thank you for having me on. It's my pleasure. Before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Yes, I had (laughs) eggs with lentils and spinach and onions. That's what I had. Mm. Yum. I am so grateful that you're here. And one of the mottos for the Melissa Ambrosini show ends with wealthy isn't a dirty word. Now, I believe it's our birthright to be wealthy in all areas of our life so we can truly enjoy what this beautiful playground called Earth has to offer us. Now, you have clearly found your path and purpose and mission in this world. Um, What are some of the best things this has done for you and how you live your life? 
I think on a most basic level, it's really allowed me to contribute more. And I feel like exist in a state of love and connection and wanting to help people connect with them and find ways that I can really help improve the quality of other people's lives. I think that's probably one of the most profound impacts that creating a life where you can experience wealth, of course, financially, but also spiritually and physically and emotionally, that's what allows you to do. You, you have so much inside of you that you can't help but want to share it with others, connect with others and find a way to lift others up. Mm. Did you struggle at the start, like spiritually um, getting your head around this wealthy word? I remember when I first started on my journey, I almost didn't want to charge for my services. I, I thought that that was, you know, not the right quote unquote thing to do. Did you struggle with that? You know, it's an interesting question. I definitely had a lot of baggage around money, but for me, I had an early money story from the time I was about seven or eight years old when my parents got divorced. And from my perception and my perspective as a very young child, the reason that they were getting divorced was money. So I linked up in my brain and I made myself a promise that when I was an adult, that I would do whatever it took to earn enough money so that money would never be a source of pain again. So when it came time for me to start my own business, while I wasn't necessarily comfortable charging at first, because you have to understand when I started my coaching business, I was all of 23 years old and I was very aware of the fact that I had barely lived any life yet and that I was completely new in my field. So for me, it was less about the money baggage of charging and it was more about understanding I was new and green in the game. And I wanted to gain skills and really gain a sense of genuine confidence that I could help people move their lives ahead before I felt very comfortable charging. So what I did was I chose to make money in ways like bartending and waiting tables and being people's personal assistant. And honestly, any honest work I could find to help keep a roof over my head and keep food on the table. So for me, it was less about feeling kind of uncomfortable charging people for my services. And it was, it was more about wanting to feel in integrity that what I was offering, you know, it was worth it. Mm. And do you feel like those money blocks or abundance blocks, do they still pop up for you today? And if so, yeah, how do you move through them? Because, you know, for me, I had many money blocks. I, you know, I'm like you, I'm, I'm half Italian and my parents migrated to Australia when my dad was really young and they had to hustle. They really, really hustled. And, you know, my dad quit school when he was 15 and went and got a job so that he could contribute to the family. And um, so they had this hustle, this really got to work hard. And so when I formed my own beliefs, I had that same belief that you've got to work really hard, that you've got to push, that you've got to do something that you don't love in order to make money. And I had to do a lot of unlearning and reprogramming of my money beliefs. When yours come up now, how do you move through them? For me, it's just always about looking 
through the lens of non-judgmental awareness and being willing to see how I'm operating, not from a space of I'm doing it wrong or I should be over this by now, but really getting curious and being an investigator and saying, hmm, you know, why would I feel uncomfortable charging X amount of dollars and asking myself, is it tied to, I don't think I'm worth it or on a more external level, you know, is this value that I'm providing, do I really feel like that's an an appropriate price? So for me these days, it's really about that non-judgmental awareness and having the ability to have some compassion for myself and to know that, you know, sometimes it's not always an internal money block. Sometimes it's just about being appropriate to what's happening in the world, in the marketplace, and making sure that I feel aligned on every level when I'm dealing with money. Mm, alignment is so important, isn't it? In every area of your life, not just, you know, with your business and money. Yes, absolutely. And how do you make sure you are consciously aligned in all areas of your life? Well, for me, my intuition speaks so loud, Melissa. You know, if something isn't right, I physically start to get ill or I'll stay up all night thinking about it. It really doesn't get to that point anymore because if something doesn't feel right to me, I can't go more than an hour or two, you know, until I kind of parse it through and I'm able to get clear, like, hmm, what's not sitting right with me about whatever situation? And I go handle it quickly. I do that, you know, if there's ever a misunderstanding with someone on my team or even my personal relationships or friendships, if I ever sense that something is just either a little off or I'm not sure what's happening and it doesn't feel right, I dive into it head on and just get it out on the table and go, okay, do we need to handle something here? Am I just making a story up in my mind or are we okay? Or do we need to have a talk? And nine times out of 10, it just handles things immediately. I always say there's always a price to pay when you ignore your intuition. There's always a consequence. And no matter how spiritual you are or how much you meditate, you cannot defeat that. Like it does not matter how much you try and trick it and you're like, oh no, but, or or justify it to yourself that every time you ignore your intuition, there is always a price to pay. And I'm like you too. When something doesn't feel right, I've got to fix it. And even though it's uncomfortable, I'm like, just sort this out because the pain from letting it go longer is way bigger than just dealing with it then and there. Yes. I wanted to shift gears a little bit here um, and go back a little bit. It's very easy for people to look at you and think, oh, she was an overnight success. But both you and I know that that is absolutely not the case. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today? I didn't even know I wanted to be an entrepreneur. All I knew was when I had my first job out of college on Wall Street on the New York Stock Exchange. After being there for a few months, I just started hearing this little voice inside that said, this isn't it. This isn't where you're meant to be. And I would go to work every day and this sense of dread and this sense of just feeling like I was dying a slow death. It was growing stronger and louder and just more heavy until it got to the point where I felt like I couldn't stay at that job anymore. The scary part for me was just realizing, okay, my intuition is speaking loud. This isn't where I'm supposed to be in life, but it wasn't telling me what I was supposed to do. 
And that probably was the scariest part. And the only two clues I had was the fact that I loved creativity. I felt like a very artistic, expressive person. When I was little, I often dreamt of being an animator for Disney or a fashion designer or a fine artist. But I also had this other side to me that absolutely loved business and small business and marketing and making things grow. And you know, my dad was a small business owner and I often used to work with him on the weekends when I was a kid. So I had that side of my brain. And also I went to school for business finance. So, you know, the past four years previous to having that job, I was in business type of classes. So I remember when I quit that job on Wall Street, thinking to myself, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do with my life, but I know as hell, you know, Wall Street wasn't it. And so I went on a bit of an odyssey to try and figure out who I was meant to be in the world. And the Things that came together for me were the fact that I loved women's magazines because they felt like, well, there's this creative sense to them. There's storytelling, there's the editorial bit, um, they're beautiful, there's photographs, so there's a whole creative department. But then, of course, there's the commerce end, there's the advertising and all the different business functions that make a, a magazine successful. So I got myself a position at Gourmet Magazine. Uh, which is under was under Condé Nast Publications, and Gourmet Magazine was a foodie magazine, and I am a woman who loves to eat. So this was a kind <laughs> of great thing for me. I was an assistant in the ad sales department, and my desk was near the test kitchen. So I was happy about that because those chefs, they would bring up anything they were testing the recipes for, and I would get snacks all day long. <laughs> so that was fun. But I'll tell you, about six months into that job, I started to look ahead at my boss, who was an ad executive, and she was a wonderful woman. She was strong, and she was smart, and she, just brilliant and kind. And then also the publisher of that magazine, so the very head chief, right, of that end of the business, another strong, powerful, smart woman. But when I got honest with myself, I realized I didn't want to become them. I didn't want to climb that corporate ladder. And then I started to feel the sense of panic because I was like, wait a minute. If I don't want to climb this corporate ladder, this isn't where I want to be, what the hell am I doing wasting their time and mine? So I started to have that feeling again, like this isn't where I'm supposed to be. And I thought, okay, well, maybe, you know, these past few years between Wall Street and being on the ad side of a magazine, maybe this is all leaning a little too heavy towards business. Maybe I need to get back to my creative side, back to my roots of when I was a kid. So I got myself a job at Mademoiselle Magazine, fashion magazine, awesome, in the editorial department. So getting to work with designers, getting to go to photo shoots, getting to kind of interact with that more creative end of the business. And for a while, again, it was fun. It was somewhat glamorous. If anyone's ever seen The Devil Wears Prada, you know, what, it, what it's like to work at kind of a, a fashion magazine in Condé Nast, it was intense and exciting and, and wonderful in many respects. But when I looked ahead, I'll tell you, you know, I found out what the editor-in-chiefs of magazines earn per year. And I was like, oh, hell no, that is not enough for me. I had more hunger than that. I also remember just feeling like, again, this was my own perspective. So this is not a slam against anyone who finds this to be their passion. But for me, I wasn't deeply passionate about clothes that I wanted to really make fashion my life's work. And so I started having that feeling again, I don't want to be the editor in chief. I don't want all these other people's jobs. What the heck am I doing? So one day I was online when I probably shouldn't have been. And I stumbled <laughs> upon an article at the time about a new profession. Okay. You got to remember this is the late nineties, early two thousands. And this new profession that completely just took me over was called life coaching. Melissa, I could not believe that there was an actual job 
where you get to work with other humans to help them strategically move their lives ahead. I thought this was like the biggest breakthrough ever. And even though in my mind, I knew I was 23 years old and I hadn't lived much life yet, something in my soul lit up like never before. And I knew that I had to pursue this thing, no matter what the heck it was, I had to figure out more and somehow get involved. So I signed up for a life coach training program. It was through an organization called Coach University, which at the time was the first and only coach training institute that there was. And I started doing my coaching studies at night while I was at the magazine during the day. Fast forward about six months, I get a call from the HR department at Condé Nast, and they were offering me a job promotion at Vogue. And that, my friend, was my proverbial fork in the road. Stay on the steady path, right? Paycheck health benefits, kind of prestigious job, keep climbing the corporate ladder, or quit and do some weird new thing that sounded crazy, but really cool called life coaching. Even though I had no experience, I was tens of thousands of dollars in debt after college. I had no clue what I was doing. So of course I chose to quit my job and start figuring out how to build a coaching business. So that is the beginning of my journey. And then I won't go through the whole rest of the path because I think, you know, a lot of it's out there and people can watch episodes of Marie TV. But for the past 17 years, I have been building this business brick by brick and creating what has now become a really beautiful social business that I love. And I just want to reiterate 17 years people 17 years you know i think what makes people successful is that they just don't listen to that inner critic i call it your inner mean girl you know that's that voice that says you can't do this and you're not good enough and you'll never do this i'm sure you have had a very loud inner mean girl throughout those 17 years but the difference is, is that you kept on showing up and that's that's what makes someone succeed is that they have that fear they feel the fear they do it anyway so i'm just so grateful that you have done that. And I just want to reiterate again, like 17 years, it's very easy for people to just go, oh, you know, she had it easy or she's, you know, an overnight success or she had money behind her or something like that. It's very easy to judge, but we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And unless we say it, no one knows that you have worked your buns off for 17 years to build this amazing conscious business, this heart-centered business and life that you are so proud of and and just it's just amazing. So I just want to commend you for continuing to show up. It's really awesome. Thank you, Melissa. And I will say, I think this is true for all of us. You know, tenacity matters more than tactics. It really, really does. You know, tactics change, platforms change, all the things that you could do change. There's no magic formula. It really is about persistence and tenacity. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't be strategic and you can't be smart and intelligent about how you use your time. But I think people overestimate the importance of quote unquote formulas or systems or secrets, and they underestimate the power of just sticking to something day in and day out and never letting yourself quit. Mm, Exactly. That's really, really powerful. And one of the most common questions I get asked all the time from my tribe, and I'm sure you hear this one as well, is what if I don't know what my passion or my purpose is? Or, or, you know, how do I find it? What suggestions would you have, not only for identifying what your passion or your purpose is, but also knowing that it's really your truth and not just a fantasy idea or following the latest craze? Because that's something else that I see a lot of as well. 
Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Whenever any of us feel stuck where we are, this is probably counterintuitive advice, but I've seen it work time and time again. And I know this from experience in my own life and also with working with others. Ironically, showing up fully exactly where you are is the fastest way to get where you want to go. And what I mean by that is this. When you're feeling kind of stuck or when you're in a job that perhaps is not your life's job, it's not your favorite, to start to train yourself to bring your A-game to that job, right? So your full enthusiasm, your engagement, your attention, your energy, and you give it your best, what you start doing is actually training yourself to show up more fully in each moment, which begins to open the channels inside of you. So your creative channels, you'll start to get downloads about what you might want to do. You'll start to get indications of what you're really good at. You're going to start to notice your strengths, meaning things that come so naturally to you. And other people start to take notice like, wow, did you really just get that done in five minutes? This is amazing. I had no idea you could do it. But when we're a walking complaint, Melissa, when we're constantly just poo-pooing everything around us, when we're thinking, well, this isn't the thing I should be doing and everyone else has it better and I can't figure it out, we're so caught in our head and we're in such a negative energetic state that we don't really give ourselves the chance to have something come to us or to have that, that knowledge or that intuition be revealed in a way that's organic and true. So when you're coming from your mind and you're looking around at other people and you're comparing yourself, it's very likely that you'll start to get sucked down like what you said, a trendy idea or something. Everyone else is making money doing this, so I should too. But when you train yourself to show up fully in each moment and bring your A game, like this moment is it, this is my life and I'm going to bring the best I have, no matter what the outside circumstances are, all of a sudden your energy starts to shift, right? Then you start to pay attention to what really feels good to you. And I'll say, people respond to you differently. I'm sure people listening have had this experience. You might have gone out into the world and whether it's a grocery store or you're in a hotel or you were someplace where perhaps you interacted with someone and you didn't really expect them to bring passion to their job. Yet when they did, it completely changed your day. Now I know as a business owner, at this stage in the game, whenever I run into someone, again, at a restaurant, at a bar, in a grocery store somewhere, and someone shows up with their A game doing what could be perceived as a somewhat simple service-based job, but they do it with such excellence and with so much, you're like, who are you? Can I hire you? Like, I need to know more about who this person is. So there are so many different benefits that come from having that practice of shifting your energy and showing up fully exactly where you are, because it is the fastest way to get where you want to go, which includes discovering your passion or your strengths or what your next move should be. Mm, I love that. I had another friend say to me the other day, okay, I realize now that the path that I'm on isn't my truth, but I'm not willing to just quit. And I said, okay, all right, you know, you don't have to do that. Well, like what you just said, I said, look, what we've got to do is bring your A game to this job and start to explore some of these other ideas that really light you up. And you do, you become a magnet and you vibrate at a different frequency. And since then, she's really started to uncover these things that she was passionate about as a child. And she's like, well, maybe I could explore this or maybe I could do this. And uh, I think it's Eckhart Tolle. He says, you've got one of two options in every situation. You either change it or you accept it. And insanity is sitting in something and continuing to whinge about it 
And I always say, look, if, you, if you're going to be in this job or if you're going to do this, yeah, bring your full self to it and feel gratitude for having this because some people don't even have that. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. And how, you know, your life is happening moment to moment. It's not going to come. We all have this fantasy of the future, but if you really break it down, the future only shows up as a moment of now. When you get in the habit of engaging with your life fully in each moment and training yourself to manage your state, to be enthusiastic, to be grateful. And this isn't about being fake. You know, we are human beings. Sometimes we're going to feel sad. Sometimes we're going to feel depressed. Sometimes we're going to feel a little bit tired and that's fine. It's not about being fake or forcing yourself to be something you're not. But I think all of us have the experience, right? You can be in a somewhat cranky mood and you're pissed off or whatever's happening around you. And then you get a phone call, you know, from someone you like, and instantly you're able to change your mood. Instantly you're able to change your state. Well, why not give ourselves that ability? (laughs) Not when someone else calls, but when we catch that we're just being a little cranky for no good reason. Again, this is kind of holding to the side when you really do need to take a nap or when you need to just sit for a little bit, or perhaps you need to vent to a really good friend because you need to let that energy out. That's fine. But what I'm talking about here is recognizing that we have so much more control over our energy and our state than we recognize. And the more that we train ourselves to be as joyful and enthusiastic as we can be, that's really our birthright, uh, the more our lives drastically change. I love what you said. You know, we are human and we're going to feel cranky and we're going to feel tired and depressed at times. This isn't about being happy and rainbows and butterflies all the time. How do you personally move through those moments of feeling down or angry or tired? What are your go-to strategies to help you move through that? So for me in the past, you know, I would sit in that frustration for maybe days, weeks, if not months. Now I'm able to move through those feelings a lot quicker. How do you personally move through those? There's a couple of different methods and I think it really depends on context. So if something is happening in the business and there's someone I can talk to to say, hey, this feels really frustrating. What can we do to eliminate this frustration? Like what's really happening here? Let's unpack this together. So that's a really tactical way where it's not like I'm unleashing anger at someone else, but I'm actually reaching out to say, hey, we all feel this is frustrating. What do we need to do to take care of it right now so we can move ahead and create a space of joy? If it's something that I'm just generally frustrated about in my life and I feel like just giving it a little bit of airtime with Josh or with a good friend can help me gain a new perspective, like, you know, just say it one way and then be able to see it from a different point of view, that's also helpful. But I will say this, and this is probably one of the best quotes, and it's not mine, um, that I've ever come across, and I think it's Neil Donald Walsh, uh, the struggle ends when gratitude begins. So Mm. anytime you're finding yourself in a place of struggle, the moment you can catch it and you can look around and say, what am I grateful for in this moment? And it could be something simple. The fact that you're breathing, the fact that the sun is out or that you have a warm sweater on or that there's running water in your kitchen, it does not have to be anything grandiose. But when you start appreciating what you have in this moment, you shift your energy instantaneously and you can gain a new perspective and shift your entire energetic state to one that is a lot more productive and empowering. Couldn't agree more. Now you are a perfect example of someone who's turned their passion into profit. So what are the first steps to for people to do that? I think the most important step you can take is actually to connect your passion to people. So all businesses 
are about solving problems or making a difference to a set of humans who are struggling with a particular issue. So if you can connect your passion to other humans, that for me is the first step of it. Because I think a lot of people make the mistake of falling too in love with their product or their service and not falling in love with their customer. So if you can start to think in those terms, you know, who are the groups of people out there who you feel really connected to? You know, maybe you're a part of the target market that you want to serve. Or is there a group of humans out there that for whatever reason you have this affinity towards and you really want to serve them, you want to make a difference to them, whether it's you want to solve a problem, you want to surprise and delight them, you want to create something that's going to make them so outrageously happy they're not going to know what to do with themselves. I think that is really one of the first key steps of turning your passion into profit because solving problems for humans is really the fundamental structure of any successful business. Mm, yeah, I absolutely love that and couldn't agree more. You have a virtual business. Yes. And I have had a virtual business. I thought that the next progression in my business was to get an office. So I got this beautiful office space and I had full-time staff in there. And I realized that that actually wasn't my truth. And it was an idea that I had and it wasn't really serving my mission. And so when I let it go, it created space for me to really flourish in the the virtual sense. And how have you managed to do that at such a high level? Like you have such an amazing, successful business, really focused on your people, not only your team, but also, you know, the partners that you work with, including myself, and then all of your tribe. Are you just incredible? incredibly organized or did you win the lucky team lottery? What are the keys to having a successful virtual empire? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head and I I wouldn't say, I'd say there's definitely grace involved in my life, no doubt. But in addition to that, there is a whole lot of hard work (laughs) and a relentless commitment to find great people to work with where we share the same values, where they are excited about the mission of the company, which is to improve the quality lives of everyone who we get to touch. And so on our team, I think it really is about finding the right culture fit. It's about finding people that want to be in your business. They're not necessarily looking at the job as a stepping stone to something else. They're not coming on board because they necessarily want to learn from you and then go do their own thing. For us, it's always really important to find a good culture fit to say, hey, you know, some seasons in our, our business, you're working long hours, but then we also give you six weeks paid vacation every year. You know, you get healthcare and you get 401k and we take lots of time off and there's all kinds of exciting things that happen. But we're also people who don't necessarily punch a clock. You know, sometimes it's not just nine to five. Sometimes it's eight to six. You know, some weekends there's incredibly exciting stuff happening. So we're always looking to find people that are completely excited by that proposition, who love what we do. And I think that really, honestly, Melissa, is one of the secrets that allows us to do what we do. And you mentioned organization. I do think that that's a key. I think that when you're growing your business, when you're scaling your business, when you're bringing on more people, being really attentive to how you communicate so that 
folks understand the expectations, people understand deadlines, and people feel really comfortable talking to each other as you hit problems and obstacles like every one of us will on every single project. Having that communication be really fluid and having a high level of trust within your team is absolutely crucial. Mm, I agree. Team is so important when you are creating heart-centered business yes, and living from your mission and your purpose. It's about finding the right cultural fit. How do we do that? Well, I think it comes out from the beginning, you know, very much in the way that in B-School, for example, we teach people how to find their ideal customers, where you literally start to articulate Who are the kind of people that you're best meant to serve when you take a look at your product or your service and the problems that it solves, the vibe of it, the tone of it, how everything interacts together? Who are the people that are going to get the most benefit from that? Because, you know, one of the things that we talk about, especially in a business context, if you're talking to everybody, you're talking to nobody, right? Your marketing is going to be very ineffectual if you're trying to reach a mass, mass market, especially when you're first starting out. You're going to be too vanilla. You're going to be too bland. You're not going to take enough risks and there's not going to be enough personality for anyone to really fall in love with you. Well, the same thing is very true when you're looking to build your team. We build out avatars for the exact kind of person that we want when filling a role. And so when we're putting together our job descriptions, when we're going out into the world and saying, hey, we have a job opening, we're very, very specific about if this is you, if you read this and this just makes you light up and you feel like you've just found your dream job, well, there's a very good chance we're gonna be a good fit. If you read all of this and you're like, not me, not what I'd want to do, that all sounds horrible, well then please don't apply. So it's very much like being clear about your ideal customers so you can go find them and serve them. Same thing is true with your team. Do an ideal customer avatar, but do it for an employee and really flesh out who that person is. And again, you might even have fun with this. You might talk about their hair color or their eye color or give them a name and a whole persona just for fun, just so you can fully flesh out the type of person who could really thrive in that role. And of course, you're going to get lots of people who don't have that hair color and have a different set of life circumstances, but they may have the same beliefs and the same philosophy in life and the same kind of vibe that your ideal customer kind of employee has. Mm. And it's really easy to hire great skills. I have in the past hired on skills and not on culture, and I've shot myself in the foot. We all have. (laughs) I ignored my intuition. My intuition was like, you know, I'm not sure about this person. But my head was like, no, but she can do this, this, and this, and she can do this, and it's going to be amazing. And every time I have shot myself in the foot, every single time, And when you are running a heart-centered business and you have this desire to serve people and, and share your passion with the world, having a team that is like-minded and on the same path is so imperative. You're right. You really do have to get quite specific. And how do you screen? Well, it's really simple. You know, we often give folks some test projects, you know, depending on what the particular role is. So for example, if we're hiring for customer service, we may have, we'll send folks um, some sample email questions that our audience might send in. And without them having any training, we just want to hear and see 
how they would respond to someone. Again, this is before giving them any kind of context or any kind of training on how we do things. We want to see their writing skills. We want to see how they would respond to particularly sticky situations. So that's part of the way that we screen. So people then, you can tell, you know, obviously how they show up in these test projects, but also you can see how quickly they respond to you. You can see if there are errors in their email back, you can feel their energy. So there's a lot of different indicators for screening. Um, For us, it just comes back to what we respect and appreciate on our team. So on our team, having strong communication skills, especially written strong communication skills is essential because we are a virtual business. And because so much communication happens on Slack or on email, not only within the team, but also with external teams and with external partners that people have to be able to communicate in such a way that they are clear, they're kind, they're compassionate, they're to the point, and also doing things in a timely manner. So if someone is interested in working with us and there are certain deadlines to their test projects and they don't meet those deadlines, well, that doesn't work for us. <laughs> That's a clear mm-hmm. indicator that, that it's going to be a problem if they were hired because we're a really on it team. So I think for every person, it's about looking at your culture and what are some of the must-haves? What are some of the things that are non-negotiable for you? And then it's really easy to start reverse engineering some criteria, some test projects. So as you're in the hiring process, you're going to be able to feel and see very objectively if someone has a chance of fitting in or not. And how important do you think being mindful of their limiting beliefs? You know, this is another thing that I see a lot. People have said to me in the past, well, living my passion and purpose isn't for me. You know, it's for someone else, someone more special or someone, you know, someone luckier. Do you feel like that's the case? Or do you feel like we are all equal and all worthy of experiencing uh, what we truly want to do in the world and sharing that with the world? Well, so there's a couple of different things there to parse through. One, I think absolutely every human being is worthy of having a life that they not only enjoy, but that they feel as though they're doing the work that they were meant to do in this world. Yes, they are worthy of that. Are we all equal? Absolutely not. I mean, if we think about it, every single one of us is not equal in our intelligence, right? We're not equal in our energy. We're not equal in a lot of different areas, but we're all worthy. And we all have unique talents and gifts that are meant to be shared in this world. So I think for people that feel like, you know, oh, I don't think it's for me. Well, you have to realize that that is a choice. That's not a fact. That is a choice that you're making. And if you'd like to challenge that belief and believe something else, that's also a choice. And we've seen people, I'm sure you have Melissa and I have as well, seeing people who are willing to make different choices in their lives and thereby create completely different circumstances and create completely different experiences of living. But I do believe every single person is worthy. But I also believe that folks will find their way to happiness. You know, not everyone really wants to be an entrepreneur or should be an entrepreneur. One of the interesting things that I think that has been fascinating and I love about what we do is, you know, people take B-School, Melissa, that don't necessarily want to run their own business, or perhaps were thinking about running their own business, but they took the program and realized, you know what? I actually just want to be a part of an entrepreneurial team. And now I have all of these skills that I can take and be like the most kick-ass team member on an entrepreneurial team and be in that environment without necessarily having to be responsible for keeping the lights on. You know, I'm thinking about particularly one woman who came through the program and is now 
really high up in a, a friend of ours, Danielle Laporte, in her organization, who's like one of her VPs. <laughs> and it all happened because she put herself through B-School and then she started seeing all these opportunities to make a difference within an entrepreneurial context. So my point back to your question is, not everyone has to quote unquote, turn their passion into profit in a way that they're running a business. But I do think it's possible to find joy and meaning and fulfillment in this life. And I think that is everyone's birthright. Mm, I couldn't agree more. Some of my favorite thought leaders conflict on whether or not now we should give from that overflowing place or we should always take care of ourselves first. Financially, this is, um, you know, Dr. John Martini says, take care of yourself first, as well as some of the other classics like Napoleon Hill from Think and Grow Rich and Wallace D. Waddles, who wrote The Science of Getting Rich. I'm not sure if you've read those books. Now, do you believe that we should take care of ourselves and our families first financially before we are able to give and really make a difference and be of service to other people? Or can that be built in from the start? Is it like self-love? Like, can you only truly give from that overflowing space? Or do you feel like it is something that we can start to implement at the very start? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. 100% you can implement it from the start. And I want to really give this some context. So making a difference to others, while I know we are talking in a financial sense right now, that is not the only way to make a difference, although we can cover that. And yes, I do feel like you can do that right from the start. I absolutely do. One of the most important things in this world is to realize that there is more than enough to go around. There is more than enough food to go around. There is more than enough love to go around. There is more than enough compassion and empathy and understanding. There is more than enough money to go around. And there's more than enough opportunity for everyone. I really do believe that the more as a society that we can start to really peel away at this myth of scarcity, the more just and harmonious the world will become. And when it comes to business owners, you know, you don't have to set your business up to give away half of your profits. You don't need to have a one-for-one model like Tom's or Warby Parker. You know, you could choose to do, if let's say you're a life coach, you could choose to do one session a month pro bono for someone who would not necessarily be able to afford your services. Or you could go find a local nonprofit. Maybe there's people struggling to get back on their feet and perhaps life coaching services. You can just drop in once a month and just offer your skill set, offer your humanity, offer your compassion. There are so many different ways, Melissa, to quote unquote, make a difference and give back. And I think waiting is the worst idea in the world because it reinforces that there's not enough when in reality, there always is. Even if you have a little piece of bread, all of us, right? If you had someone next to you who was hungry, most of us would tear our piece of bread in half and go here, have this, share it with me. I think that when you train yourself to know that there is more than enough to go around, even when you don't have all your pieces of your life together right yet. I actually think that being generous in those states is what helps you get your life together. I remember when I first made a commitment to start giving away a portion of profits, I was at a point in my business where things weren't together yet. In fact, every time I opened my checkbook, I was still terrified that I wasn't going to be able to make rent every month. That, you know, at the end of the month, it was like looking a little bit scary, like, oh, is everything going to, all these checks going to make it? I was still bartending. I was still waiting tables. I was still doing a lot of other things to keep my business afloat. But I remember making the decision saying, you know what, if I'm ever going to handle this scarcity bit in my own life, 
I need to start behaving on what I know to be the truth with a capital T. And that is that there is more than enough to go around, especially when it comes to money. And when I made that decision, I can tell you without a doubt that that was the beginning of me being able to be an adult and fully responsible around money. And it was the beginning of it coming to me in much larger quantities than I could have ever imagined. Mm, that is so important. And when I look at you and and your business and B-School, you are incredibly generous. And I know you work very closely with Pencils for Promise and some other amazing organizations. And I think what you said is so key. When you really finally made that decision, that's when the abundance started to flow rapidly, which is so beautiful. And I feel exactly the same. You know, I feel like another area of your life where you're incredibly generous is with your partnerships. Now you have an amazing rapport and loyalty like I've never seen before with your partners or affiliates um, that promote B-School each year. Obviously, this has a huge impact on your business and your life. So what have been the secrets to growing such a devoted partnership program and relationships with your partners and how much of an impact has the affiliate model had on your business? Well, I'll tell you, the secrets that we use are not really secrets at all. I try and think about our affiliate partners as our really respected and trusted friends. I am looking out for our partners because I know what it takes because I've done it and we're still doing it. It takes a lot to grow a business from the ground up and to be able to build trust with an audience takes an enormous amount of time and effort and energy, and it's a precious thing. So for me, we're always coming from the space of how can we do right by our partners? How can we give them all the tools that are needed? How can we be completely transparent? How can we let them know that if they are putting their trust in us, meaning they're willing to say, hey, you know what? I did this great program called B-School. I believe in this thing. I think you should go check it out. We are going to take care of those people that you send us like gold. We want them to have all of the information at their fingertips. We want them to feel extremely taken care of, and we want them to know that they're safe with us. So for me, that's our lens through affiliate partners. It's not just about making money. It's about changing lives because any affiliate partnership that we have, like folks like you, Melissa, it's like, we know you. We know you intimately. We know you personally. And all of our partners are honestly handpicked. We don't have an open partnership program. You can't just say like, hey, I want to promote B-School. Like that's not going to fly. So I think our partners really feel that and they know that we're always trying to do right by them. Are we perfect? No, but we're trying to take feedback. We're trying to learn. We're trying to evolve with the times and we're trying to let everyone in on everything that we're doing to make their experience better and to make the experience, most importantly, of our customers better. And I think that's really the secret. The secret is integrity and caring at every single stage of the game and letting people know this is exactly how things work. Nothing is hidden. If you ever have problems, you can come to us and we will handle it together like a team. And your, your second question was about how much impact this has had on our business. I'll tell you, when I started B-School back in 2010, 
I just realized, Melissa, you know, uh, that was at a certain part of my journey. It was like Marie TV didn't really exist yet. In fact, I don't think it was existing at all. And I was proud of the audience that I'd built at that time, but I was extremely aware of the truth, which was there were billions of people in the world and I was only reaching a couple tens of thousands of them. And I had this great opportunity to teach people how to create and run a meaningful, profitable business. So in order to get the word out, I wanted to just partner up with people who already had built trust with audiences who might be interested in this. I had no idea that this was going to turn into what it's become. You know, we have over 30,000 graduates from over 160 different industries, over 112 countries and territories around the world. I had no idea when I started that this was going to happen. But our affiliates, who I am so grateful for, just help us change more lives. They help introduce us to folks who perhaps have never heard of us before and give them really an opportunity to check out a program that is transformative, that it's proven, and where they get to connect with other people who are devoted to building their business for all the right reasons. Mm, And you really do. I just want to say you do such a beautiful job at nurturing your partnerships. I love B-School. I've done it five years in a row now. So you think I would like it if I, if I keep showing up each year. You are such a beautiful person and you are so authentic and everyone on your team, like it's very easy to, you know, get an email from someone and it's, you forget that there's actually a human being on the other side. You know, it's very easy to just see words and then you feel the amount of love that your team pour into every single email. And it really makes you feel like you're just having a conversation with one of your best friends. So I just wanted to say that it's, it's really powerful and I feel like you're doing a great job. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, that means the world to us. And I will definitely pass it on to the team. And just for everyone listening too, you know, our lives need to be about connection. Connection is the thing that matters most. It's what's going to make the difference in your business with your customers. It's going to make the business with you and your team as a leader. And it's what's going to make the difference with you and your other industry friends, whether it's affiliate partners or just people that you know and connect with and mastermind with, or people that you know out in the industry where you see them at events. Focusing on genuine connections is one of the smartest, most underutilized business strategies there are. Mm, I couldn't agree more. We both work in a very virtual world. Yes. It's very different sitting and having a cup of tea with someone to connecting via email. Yeah. How do you kind of marry the two or how do you bring that connection that you get from in-person into the online space? How do you kind of make it cross over a little bit more? Do you have any tips or secrets? Yes, absolutely. I think it's about really understanding and training yourself to manage your energy. So when you're sitting down to write an email, whether it's to your audience, whether it's to someone that you'd like to do business with, a client, doesn't matter in any context. Before you actually start writing that email and typing the words, check your energy. Make sure you're in a place where you're thinking about that other human being. Perhaps you're visualizing their face or you're imagining the last time you saw them. Or if you go on their website and you just check out what they're doing, anything like that to to get some type of emotional connection going. And when you're writing, it's not just about getting things done fast or you know being as productive as possible. It's about thinking about what would you want that person to feel when they're opening that email. You know, most of our lives are so busy and all of us have challenges, whether it's challenges with our family or our businesses, or, you know, we have frustrating days. So when you can be a light and a source of joy and a source of hope and energy for another human being, 
it's a really beautiful thing. And each of us have the capacity to do that. And I think people underestimate that others will feel your energy. Like the energy you inject into creating something transmits. It transmits through text. It transmits through email. It transmits through video. All of those things matter. And so understanding and being responsible for your energy, I think is one thing that each of us can do. And and that's a tip. So next time you sit down, to write an email, write a text, whatever it is, just take a moment and check yourself. Breathe, think about that person, think about how you'd like them to feel, and then let yourself write. That's amazing. That's a great tip. Thank you for that. Um, uh, something that I've started to do is um, send voice messages instead of text messages because I want my, I want my friends and my my team to hear my voice. It's very easy to kind of uh, read things differently. So if I, you know, send them a little message saying, "Hey, beautiful, have you done that email yet?" Like they can hear in my tone that it's not like aggressive or I'm just asking if they've, you know, it, it can come across so differently. So that's something that I've started to do. And it's, um, it's a lot easier and quicker too, just to record your voice. Love it. So that's something that I've personally started to do and everyone loves it. And I get lots of messages back from my friends saying, you know, hearing your voice was just really lit me up or was the highlight of my day. So that's something that I love doing. Um, something else that I'm really fascinated with and love exploring is the polarity between the masculine and the feminine energy. And because when I first started my business, I was very much in my masculine energy and really striving and really go, 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 um, and really taking on board more of that yang. And to be honest, neglecting my yin side and I burnt myself out. I'm interested to hear, has that something that you've experienced? And if so, how do you kind of elegantly as elegantly as possible, dance between both that feminine and that masculine. And, and because we all have both of those energies within us, and I would be curious to hear how you kind of dance between the two and if that's something that you struggled with at the start. Oh, yeah. It's not even just at the start. I think I actually struggled more with it uh, probably in recent years than I did at the start. And the reason I say that is because as the business has continued to grow and get bigger and more complex, um, you know, it's it was easier for me to kind of stay in a driving fashion to be able to get things done. And uh, so, yeah, and I, I frankly don't know many women who have not struggled with that on some level, or it's not a recurring theme that comes up from time to time. I don't think it's something that you handle once and that you're completely over. I think it's something that all of us have to keep an awareness of. And for me, the dance really comes down to awareness. The dance comes down to realizing that I can communicate better with my partner, you know, where if there needs to be a time where it's like, Hey, interruptions for me right now just really wouldn't be great. Cause I need to kind of dive deep and focus and stay in this world for a little bit. That's a lot easier for Josh to know about at the onset. If I let him know versus him coming into a room where I'm working, it's like, what, what do you want? <laughs> you know? So it's <laughs> things that I've learned through doing them the wrong way. It's definitely taken time and practice and also, you know, eating a bit of humble pie to realize I don't have it all together all the time and to recognize when I can get really bitchy or when I can be really snappy and how, A, it's not good for my relationship. And more importantly, it's not good for myself, not good for my creativity. It certainly doesn't produce things faster. In fact, slows things down. So for me, it's just been a continuous journey of awareness and also self-compassion. 
you know, recognizing that uh, driving, forcing, pushing has its place sometimes, but you shouldn't be in that state all the time. When you notice that you're in that state, do you have any things that you do to personally get you back more into your feminine? So for me, I live on the beach and something that really helps me is being in nature. And, you know, whether I go for a swim or whether I just feel the grass under my feet uh, really helps me kind of get out of that more masculine drive, go, 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 and really step back into my more feminine and even things like having a shower and just rubbing some coconut oil on me. Do you have any uh, go-to tips or tricks that you do to help you kind of get back into your feminine? Three things really. One, I've gotten to the place now again because I've made the mistake so many times and I've been so not good at this that these days I'm fairly good at shifting my energy just through awareness, like catching myself before I keep going. I can just take a nice deep breath and then completely shift the energy in my body. Two is exercise. Um, For me, that's a cure-all for almost everything. And then the third thing, taking a shower also works. I think it helps too at the end of a work day to just take a shower, shower off all the day, take off the clothes, change the clothes, put something fresh on, and that does the trick too. Mm, I love those three things. Now, I've got a couple of rapid-fire questions that I'd love for you to dive into. So the first one is... What is one thing that you are currently working on within yourself? Maybe it's something that you're currently struggling with or you want to improve within yourself. Is training myself to wake up without an alarm at a particular time. So I've been having a ton of fun with this. And I actually had a little experiment going because I was I'm here on the West Coast now in California. Last week, I was on the East Coast for a short bit. And so I was playing with, oh, what's going to happen if there's time differences? You know, understanding that obviously we all need good sleep because that's good for our brains. But I was really curious how that would work if I, you know, went to a different coast and kind of shifted it around. So that's been really, really fun is continuing to train my mind to wake up, quote unquote, on demand without an alarm. How important is self-care when you are running a heart-centered business? Everything everything. I think that having daily success rituals, it really makes a difference. If any of us have, you know, kind of woken up and felt that hit of the alarm, right. And you're like, Oh, I got to go. And, and you kind of get out of bed and you're, you're looking at your phone and you're like trying to rush and get everything done. And then you feel bad and, Oh, am I going to get a workout in today? Or am I not? And what are we going to have for dinner? And you just feel like your entire day, you're always racing to catch it. And I'm sure most of us have had the other experience, right? Where for whatever reason, we've chosen to get up at a particular time and created a structure where whether we exercise and or meditate and or eat a healthy breakfast or whatever it is that we needed to do, we somehow structured it that we had enough time to do that. And then we sat down and we knew exactly what our most important task of the day was and we just went right to it. And we got to those meetings and we were able to have that dinner. And understanding that contrast for yourself and knowing that all of that is within your control, the self-care aspect, if you can make that happen in the morning and you do that every day, it will radically change not only the quality of your life, but the results that you produce in your business or your career. 
Talking about success rituals, one thing I am so fascinated about is people's morning routines and how their day looks. And obviously, no two days are ever the same, but how do you prime yourself for the day? Like, what are some of your daily non negotiables that set you up for success? Journaling, meditation, exercise and a really good, healthy breakfast. So that might include a green juice, that might include some eggs, that could include a protein shake, just depending on how my body's feeling, what I'm hungry for. But those are non-negotiables for sure. And then if Josh and I happen to be in the same town, in the same city, having some time together, whether that's to have some tea or some coffee, even if it's just 10 or 15 minutes, um, that those non-negotiable, I'm good to go. It's really interesting. Um, I was reading the other day, I think it was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And he said, behind every successful man is a supportive woman. (laughs) One thing that we both have in common is these beautiful men behind us. Do you think that is really um, helped you in the growth of your business to have this rock behind you? You know, I'm not sure whether Josh works in your business, Yeah, no, he doesn't. He has this complete, Josh is an actor and he has a completely different, you know, other career, but he's always been very, very supportive of me. To be honest, I don't think it, I don't think our relationship would work if we, if we work together, we're just such two different human beings. Um, but to answer your question, absolutely. Like I appreciate him so much. And he was someone who, when my business was first starting, and I, it was going, but it was again in the very, very baby stages when, when he and I met and he always believed in me, you know, when I didn't believe in myself, he would always be there as this voice of, I know you can do this. You're so going to do this. You know, at those times when I was doubting or feeling completely insecure or going like, gosh, is this ever going to happen? He never had any doubt. And he always supported me, um, energetically and, with so much love and compassion for my craziness and my quirks and all that stuff, I undoubtedly know that he's made a tremendous positive difference in every part of my life. And what about for people who don't have that? They have a partner who kind of thinks what they're doing or their passion is a little bit um, crazy. Yeah. I think that it's, you know, it's worth it to unpack that stuff. And whether you go and get some relationship counseling or, you know, find a good workshop or a program to work through, you know, if you're going to spend your life with someone, or even if you're going to spend a good couple of years with someone, it's got to be joyful. And if things aren't meshing and things aren't okay, I'm not a huge fan of sweeping things under the carpet or just, you know, de- you know, kind of tolerating things. I think that is the worst way to live. I think it's so much better to have the difficult conversations and to confront things and to get things out on the table because both of you deserve joy. And every woman and man deserves to be supported by someone. And if things aren't quite where you'd like them to be, you have to take responsibility to do the hard and difficult and sometimes messy and painful work to either get the relationship to an outstanding level where you are supportive of one another or perhaps make a really tough decision that, you know, y'all might deserve better. Mm, Really great point. So let's pretend now that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum in every single high school around the world. Now, besides your book, what book would you choose to put in the school curriculum all over the world? I think I'd choose The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Mm, That's a goodie. Even though it is written in the context of quote-unquote writers, it really is about the act of creation and self 
initiation and being proactive about using your gifts to make something happen. And he so beautifully illustrates that insidious force of resistance that all of us can feel when we are on the edge of embarking on a new adventure. And I think the way he describes it with such candor and, you know, brevity and heart and from a place of experience is something that every single person needs to understand and really have that wisdom in their back pocket. And I'll put the links to everything that we've mentioned so far and that book in the show notes so you don't need to write it down. Now, I would love to hear, I you've mentioned gratitude a few times and gratitude is something that I am so passionate about. Again, it wasn't something that I learned as a child. This was something that I learned along the way and I realized had such a profound impact to my happiness that I really started to take it seriously when I began on, you know, my spiritual journey and it's made such a huge impact in my life. So I would love to hear three things that you're most recently grateful for in your life. One is for certain, um, our team, the team of women and one man that we work with, uh, every single day, they are just extraordinary human beings. So, uh, them totally grateful for them. Definitely for Josh, just earlier when I had a lot of things on my plate, just the fact that he would go and heat up some soup for me and make sure that I was fed and fueled. So that was not only sweet, um, but just really lovely. And I'm also really grateful for my parents. My parents are just two amazing human beings. And my mom just sends me the funniest texts all the time with all caps and all kinds of emojis. And she's just, you know, the biggest fan of Marie TV and has comments on it every single week about the clothes or what I'm wearing or what I'm talking about. And it's just, uh, it's just a joy. They're both a joy in my life. Oh, that's so beautiful. How many people do you have in your team now? I think we are, well, including our seasonal team now, we're probably close to 15 or 16, but we have a lot of flexibility. So sometimes if we're working on more projects, we can work with some satellite teams that will pull in. And, you know, if it's more of a slower season, we, you know, some of our seasonal staff will go work on other projects, but there's probably about 10 or uh, about 15 right now. Well, you guys sure do look like you have an absolute ball on Marie TV. Uh, you. I, you know, my one of my favorite parts is the little outtakes at the end of each episode. <laughs> That's my mom's favorite too. She's like, can you just have one episode where it's just all that? Like more dancing, please. I'm like, sure. Sure. I'm always curious to see, okay, what is she going to come up with next? It's just, <laughs> it's such good value. So thank you for adding those little bits in at the end. They're just such gold nuggets. So thank you. Um, and my last three questions. Okay. In your opinion, what is one of the most important things that you can do for your health? Exercise and eat right. So let me just unpack that for a moment. If you really want to reshape your body in terms of, hey, you know, I would really love to perhaps lose a little weight or get a little just, you know, reshape the body in the way that you want to, pay more attention to what you're eating. I think people really underestimate how important your nutrition is when it comes to those things and they overestimate the importance of exercise. Now, when it comes to exercise, however, when it comes to your health, your mental health, your emotional health, how strong you feel in your body, nothing beats that daily exercise. 
Yeah, I agree. They're two of my daily non-negotiables, so I agree with you. Now, what is one of the most important things that you can do for your wealth? So your your career and your passion, what's or or your financial wealth? What, in your opinion, is one of the most important things? Continue to educate yourself around money. I don't think it's a subject that we spend nearly enough time on. And if you just investigate wherever you're at with your money right now, whether you're in debt or you're saving or you're investing for the future or you want to, you know, greatly expand your wealth, just honestly get aware of what your financial situation is and then get educated to grow to that next step. Mm, I think that's really important. I see a lot of people who kind of finish school and then they they kind of think, oh, I'm done with studying. And that mentality is setting you up for um, not a joyful experience. I feel like we've got to be a student for life and be hungry and continue to learn and grow. So I agree with you on that one. That's, That's perfect. And finally, what is one of the most important things that you could do for love? Listen. Listen to the person that you're with, really understand what they're saying from their point of view and validate their experience. So important. And like really listen in between the breaths and in between every single word, there's so much gold in there if we can just really listen. So that's really beautiful. Thank you so much. I am just so grateful for this conversation. You know, I bring people on this show that I love and that I admire and whom have been a really big part in my journey. And you have definitely been a huge part of my journey and my growth over the past five years. And I just am so grateful. And I want to honor you for the work that you do for continuing to master your inner mean girl over the past 17 years and continue to show up and put out all the work and the love that you do. You are one of the most authentic and beautiful and genuine people I have come across. And I just love you so much. Oh, thank you, Melissa. That's so kind of you to say. And it's my honor to be on your show. Thank you for having me. And thanks to everyone who's listening. And we'll put everything that we spoke about in the show notes so you don't have to worry about jotting anything down. It'll all be there. But thank you again, Marie. And I am excited for our next chat. Awesome. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. Isn't she a beautiful human being? One thing I love about Marie is that she's incredibly authentic and no matter how successful she gets, she continues to show up authentically and give you the time of day. Now, whether we are catching up on Skype or in person, she deeply cares and you can really feel that. You know, she looks in your eyes and she connects with you. And that is one reason I love and continue to do her program, B-School, every year. I've done it for five years in a row now. This is my sixth year of doing B-School. And the reason I continue to come back is because not only does Marie over-deliver, but she really cares. She really, really cares about helping you turn your passion into a profit. And B-School is about not just online businesses, it's about any business that wants to be heart-centered and turn their passion into profit. It is unbelievable and it's open right now for registration. It closes on March 2nd. 
and she only does it once a year. So if you want to do B-School, jump on board now because you will have to wait an entire year to get in the next time. And I don't want you to miss out. It is such an amazing program, which is why I continue to do it year after year. And it just blows my mind with how generous she is with her time, with her knowledge, with everything. It is one of the best online programs I've ever done. And you can get all the information in the show notes about B-School. And make sure you sign up to my newsletter because I have something very, very exciting launching so soon. And it's a new program called Business Bootcamp Mastermind. And in this business bootcamp, you will be able to work directly with me on building your dream business. Now, I don't do any mentoring anymore. I haven't done any mentoring in a couple of years. And this is the only way you'll be able to work with me and have me hold your hand and answer all of your business questions and help you build your dream business. And you can actually, if you head to the show notes, you can find out how you can get my business bootcamp free for two months. This is where I will hold your hand through the process of creating your dream business. So if you want to get that for free for two months, all you have to do is head to the show notes and that is melissaambrosini.com forward slash 11 and you can find out all those juicy details there. And don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave me a five-star review because that means that we can inspire more people together and I can get more epic humans on the show for you. And don't forget to tell me who you want me to get on the show. And you can do that on Twitter by tagging me at Mel underscore Ambrosini and the person you want me to interview using the hashtag the Melissa Ambrosini show. And for everything that we mentioned in today's episode and all those juicy details on how you can work with me for free for two months, head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash 11. You can also check out all my other podcasts there too. And don't forget to leave me comments under the show notes. I read every single comment and I love reading them so much. I also read every single review that you guys leave on iTunes because I'm so grateful and so freaking honored that you've taken the time to review it and leave me a comment. So please come and chat with me under the show notes in the comments. And thank you for being here, for wanting to be the best version of yourself and for showing up for you. You rock. If there is someone in your life that you can think would benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. And until next time, don't forget love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.